Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Brother Reed. I'm on the High Council in the Phoenix Young Single Adult Stake, and I'm happy to be here to talk with you today. I love the idea, in fact, that we're using technology to connect to one another. I know that um, technology doesn't always get a good rap. Sometimes it's used to disconnect us, but it's wonderful that we're using this wonderful medium of a podcast to connect us and, and enrich one another. I'd like to talk to you today about the priesthood. Specifically within the priesthood, the priesthood itself and the authority therein, the keys of the priesthood and priesthood holders. Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in a 2014 conference address said, President Joseph F. Smith described the priesthood as the power of God delegated to man by which man can act in earth for the salvation of the human family. Other leaders have taught us that the priesthood is the consummate power on this earth. It is the power by which the earth was created. The scriptures teach that the same priesthood which was in the beginning shall be in the end of the world also. Thus the priesthood is the power by which we will all be resurrected and proceed to eternal life. So within this priesthood, what's the difference between priesthood and priesthood keys? The priesthood is the power or authority of God. The keys are the right to use this power or authority in specific ways. The president of the church is the only man on earth who has the power to exercise all the keys of the priesthood. We see that in Doctrine and Covenants 132.7. However, he delegates certain keys to the leaders who preside in the church. These men include mission presidents, branch presidents, temple presidents, stake presidents, bishops, and Melchizedek priesthood quorum presidents. They, in turn, delegate a portion of their authority, but not their keys, to men and women in their units by setting them apart to different offices and callings. President Joseph Fielding Smith, then the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, said this, While the sisters have not been given the priesthood, it has not been conferred on them. That does not mean the Lord has not given unto them authority. A person may have authority given to him or a sister to her to certain things in the church that are binding and absolutely necessary for salvation, such as the work that our sisters do in the house of the Lord. They have authority given unto them to do some great and wonderful things, sacred unto the Lord and binding just as thoroughly as the blessings that are given by the men who hold the priesthood. So in reality, most men don't have any keys of the priesthood. They are very similar to the women in this aspect. Although the men may be holders of the priesthood, they are given certain authorities as they are set apart by the laying on of hands for specific assignments. We are all on the errand of the Lord, men and women, for the salvation of the human family. And it is by his priesthood authority this is accomplished. Sometimes within the church, 
there's a confusion about holders of the priesthood and the priesthood itself. Holders of the priesthood are not the priesthood. We can at times be very impressed or not impressed with some of our priesthood leaders. Within the priesthood, I believe the office makes the man. The man does not make the office. In other words, the man does not expand the office and make it special and useful in the salvation of the human family. The office expands the man and can make him special and useful in the salvation of the human family. This is accomplished by priesthood, the priesthood holder with persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. I learned this many years ago, serving as a missionary in Central Florida. I remember being out of my mission about 18 months, and there was soon going to be a change in our mission president. Now, those of you that have served missions, most of all, all of us just adored our mission presidents. They're just amazing individuals, and I was no different. Uh, just absolutely loved the mission president that I'd had for 18 months. He was just a unique individual that developed rapport instantly, connected with almost everyone. He was direct, but kind. Um, he, he was just an amazing man. Well, his replacement was very different. Uh, the new mission president had a PhD. He was very scholarly. His last job he had held was the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Utah. I remember his first talk in a zone conference. I felt like I needed a dictionary because he was using such large words and he was so scholarly. I remember thinking he's just he was just a little stiff and I just... I couldn't connect with him. And then we had found out as missionaries that he actually had not even served a mission, which we learned later that wasn't a big deal. He had served in, the, in World War II, and, and that was pretty common uh, as he had not served a mission. But we kind of held that against him, I remember feeling. And so we were kind of tough on him. And after the mission, this new mission president had been out for several months, he came out with this council, and this was his council. He wanted every missionary that was to go home to have a baptism planned right before they were to go home. Just go ahead and plan one. Uh, we want you to have a baptism right before you go home. And we thought to ourselves, wait a minute, how, how is that possible? Uh, people have got to be prepared. They've got to be ready uh, when this came out, it was six weeks before I was to go home. And I thought, this is, this, how can this be? And so we were, we had been pretty tough on him. And then this came out and I finally counseled with my companion at the time. And we, we thought to ourselves, well, what the heck, let's just go for it. And, uh, didn't have the perfect attitude, honestly, but we just decided to do it. So we went into ward council and told the bishop, we are planning a baptism. We're going to have it here on the Saturday before Elder Reed goes home. Here's the date. So the uh, bishop kind of looked at us and those members of the ward council said, that's just, that's great news, elders. Who, who's being baptized? And we told them we have no idea. And we kind of recanted the story of 
of our mission president and his council and the ward council kind of looked at us and decided that they would support the idea. So here we are. We're planning this baptism, invited all the auxiliaries because we didn't know who was going to be baptized, didn't know if the elders quorum needed to be there or the primary. So we just invited everybody. We you know, planned it all out, got the uh, music planned and the talks uh, planned out and assigned. And, and then we went back to our investigator pool, which was very thin. We weren't actively teaching anybody. We had a few what we call professional investigators who had been taught all the lessons several times, but were very friendly, but not interested in committing. And so we decided to go through that small group. And we focused on the Collingsworth family. I believe they had been taught the discussion several times. Uh, their children wanted to be baptized, a 16-year-old daughter and a eight-year-old daughter. And we needed their parents' permission their parents loved what we were doing, but they just were hesitant on giving any kind of permission. They were very supportive of their children when they wanted to go to church, just hadn't committed. Well, we decided to go over and talk with the Collingsworth family. So we knocked on the door, walked into the front room, and have you ever gone into a room where you could just tell just moments before there had been some sort of an argument? The air was thick with contention, and we were sitting there, and we could tell that this was not going to be an appropriate time to discuss anything important, certainly not baptism. So I remember sitting there in the chair, and right next to me was a basket of clothes, most of which were rolled up socks. Now, I don't know whether this was inspired or desperate, but I reached down, grabbed one of the rolled up socks, and hurled it across the room at the eight-year-old. Now, I had a pretty good arm, and I hit her right in the forehead. Now, she kind of smiled. I had certainly teased her before on some previous visits, and she decided that she was going to grab that sock that I'd thrown at her and return the sock to me at a higher velocity, and that's, and that's what she did. She threw it back at me, uh, my companion kind of saw what was going on, decided to throw a couple socks at mom and dad and the 16-year-old. And then I threw the another sock or two back at the 8-year-old. And then the 8-year-old truly caught the vision. She ran over, grabbed the basket of socks, dumped it in the middle of the room. At that point, we all leaped for the pile of socks and there was the greatest sock fight the world had ever seen in this living room. And we all had a great time. And not too long after, after a few minutes, uh, the socks were scattered all around the room. Uh, the laughter had subsided and the mood of the room had changed. There was a more happy feeling. The contentious feeling had left the, left the room. And we found an opportunity to discuss the importance of baptism with, their, with mom and dad. So we asked them if they would give permission, and they did. And we told them, well, we just happen to have this date set aside here on a Saturday. And they agreed to be baptized. Now, this baptism went forward as planned. And I remember I had the privilege of baptizing the 16-year-old daughter. And I remember 
placing her down into the water and bringing her out. And as she came out of the water, I understood, I think in part, the scripture and Doctrine and Covenants 89, the oath and covenant of the priesthood, sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their body. As she came out of the water, I felt as though I had been baptized and I had been renewed. It truly was one of the most sacred experiences I've ever had in my life, certainly on my mission. And I would not have had that experience unless I would have listened to a mission president who was a bit awkward and I did not connect with. So, don't judge your local priesthood leaders too harshly. The Lord can work through any man as the man works through principles of righteousness. Now, may I end with my testimony. I know for sure that our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, love you beyond your capability to even understand, regardless of what you do. I also know that this fullness of joy that we've heard about can be each one of ours as we do what they ask us to do. I know that Jesus Christ died for us that we might live again. He atoned for our sins, that we may be free from our sins and return back to our Father in heaven. I know the gospel's been restored. We have a living prophet, and we have inspired church leaders. As we understand the priesthood and its role in the salvation of the human family, we find yet another avenue to connect us to the Savior Jesus Christ, of whose priesthood this is, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.